Hello, everybody. How's everyone going, doing, or going, if you're going somewhere? Doing another interview today with, I believe her name is Eli. Hello, my adoptee life. Some exciting things going on uh, with adoption research. Um, my partner, like I mentioned, is doing her, uh, her not dissertation, uh, but it's called an advanced practice project for her doctorate. And um, actually she met somebody who follows this page and she will be potentially working together on some adoptee research. So it's a small world. It's pretty interesting. But we thought that was pretty cool. So yeah, that's still up and running. The survey, I guess I'll mention it now, that survey for the course, Adoption 101, is still up and ready. Um, if you click the link in the bio, you can take the survey. Um, and then we will be we will be developing that probably probably by I'm trying to get to a hundred one hundred uh people to take that survey, so it's at sixty five or so right now, so really if another thirty people kind of come uh then be able to start moving forward with creating the actual course. Hey, Eli. Hello. How are you? I'm doing good, thank you. Good. Thank I'm not you sure to know your name, actually. Oh, my name's Alex. Oh, hi, Alex. Sorry. Oh, you're <laughs> I good. I don't say my name much, I don't think. Uh, I heard the, the interview a few times, but I think I didn't pick up um, your name, so I didn't remember. Sorry about that. Oh, no problem, no problem. Thank you for joining me. Um, so yeah, I was just mentioning uh, the Adoption 101 course. I just wanted to mention it again. Uh, that's still up and running. We have about 65, almost 70 uh, people who've taken the survey. It's a link in my bio. And once I get to 100, I'm going to share all the results with everyone. And then we're going to go forward with setting up a reoccurring um, kind of session where we can start building out a course with the topics that I've talked about before. Um, so everybody, uh, yeah, keep that in mind, but okay. welcome to, uh, voices of the adopted page. Uh, for those of you who don't know, this page is really meant for adoptees to voice their own struggles, voice their own stories, allow themselves to have a voice and an outlet in a virtual diary to explain the types of things that they've experienced as an adoptee and they want other people to know or they would like to tell their adoptive parents or just parents in general or biological parents or really anything. It's just your message to the world. And I wanna give this space for other adoptees. So that being said, um, welcome. And why don't you tell us your name and where you're adopted from and a little bit about your, your story and, and your passion. Okay, uh, so my name is uh, Elisa. Uh, in French, uh, you can call me Eli, as you said, or Eli, that's <laughs> okay. up to you. Uh, so I was adopted when I was uh, seven months old, seven and, and a half, actually. And uh, I, I was born in South Korea, in Seoul. And I came to France uh, and I was adopted by a French couple. Uh, so in the, in the 70s, I'm 45 now. And uh, I'm a mother of two beautiful children, I'm married as well, and um, and so uh, my story is uh, well. I, I pretty much grew up as a French and very white person because I, I I used to grow up in a countryside of north of France. There were not much uh, um, like foreigner people in general. So maybe I met few Asian in my life until I went uh, maybe to college and after when I left France uh, to work abroad. Uh, but mainly I really grew up and, uh, with white people. And I think in my mind, I was very French and very 
very white uh, until maybe not too long ago. I've recognized like uh, I have Asian roots. Um, and so when I was uh, in my 30s, when the, the year of my 30s actually, uh, I had a very funny story when I've met someone who was Korean as well, coming to my company where I was working. And she explained to me she was doing research. And for me, it was not something I was interested in. I didn't care to find my biological family. I tried to have an approach sometimes uh, by talking to my parents, but I found them like they were not very supportive. Mm. So I decided not to do any research. I thought it was better for me. And uh, I was an only child as well. So my, my parents put a lot of hope on my education and on me. And um, the, when she explained to me like why she was doing her own research on her own roots, uh, she gave me some tips, like it was easy on internet to find your biological family and everything. And I thought, well, maybe I should think about it. And um, she explained to me as well, like she had very difficulties in her uh, relationships, like uh, sentimental relationships. And it was um, the same for me. So I thought maybe if I want to settle the family one day, maybe I should try to know exactly who I am and where do I come from. And um, And the same week, I've decided to do some research on the internet and uh, to make the story short uh, by searching on some website to website. And I found a lot of websites at the time. It was in 2005 where you could uh, pay someone to find your own biological family in Korea. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to pay anyone, but I found a, an address email, email and uh, they just asked uh, just to have a covering letter in English with the details you have about you. And so this is what I did. I just applied, I, I gave all of the details I knew. And uh, they explained like it was very, very, you have to be very patient because it takes long, long time to have some answers. But uh, five days later, I received an email and uh, my name, uh, my Korean name was on the object of the, of the email. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was really surprised because when I opened the emails, they explained to me like it was easy for them to ref to find my own biological father mm -hmm. because um, every year he was looking for me. So it was actually the, the agency in Korea, Holt, very m much known now, uh, one of the main agencies in Korea. And they had a post uh, adoption the department. And so they, they explained like um, every year for several years, uh, my biological father was coming back to the agency to find out if I was uh, trying to find him too. Wow. And, and they told me like uh, uh, my biological uh, mother was um, pass passed away after she gave me birth. And uh, wow. I still have two, two, uh, two sisters, uh, one from the same mother, uh, and one from uh, the same father, but not the same mother. The oldest one, her mother uh, passed away too. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was um, a big shock at that time. And um, it was a second shock as well, uh, because um, so in 2005, um, I was a very young Christian, like what you call in in US, like evangelical Christian, so Protestant, mm -hmm. which is very rare in France. You, you have really a small percentage of the, of the population who is a Christian evangelical. And I became a, a Christian just a year and a half before. So I found out like my own uh, father was a, was a, a pastor. Mm -hmm. And it was a shock for me because I didn't even know like there were a lot of Korean who were Christian and you know for me they were more like Confucius or Buddhist and so um, it kind of uh, upside down my my world at that time uh, to understand like um, okay I became Christian like one and a half years ago and I just found out my biological father is Christian so mm. it took me some time to digest the information and to process it and uh, my parents when I told them like uh, three months later they just were not supportive at all so it's very hard very, very hard. Uh, they didn't understand. They felt betrayed. They just, uh, yeah, they didn't get it. But they did, I can't, I'm, I couldn't be angry with them. At that time, I was very sad. 
but nobody prepared them for that moment. So yeah. um, in the 70s in France, the agency told them like, uh, I, they have to cut everything from my roots. So they have to change my name, as you know, to make me very French. And so uh, they didn't try to, um, try to interest me where I come from. And, you know, it was a lot of a lack of education on that side. Right. Right. Wow. So how old were your parents? I'm curious when, when uh, you were adopted. Um, I think, um, I think my dad, because my dad was, is, was younger than my mom. So he was in his 30s, I think. And my mom probably in 38. They have seven. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, do you know where you were for the first seven months of your life? I don't know much information about that. I know just because uh, uh, I went back to Korea two years after I found uh, my biological family. So I, um, my biological father uh, explained to me the whole story, what happened. So uh, my biological mom, she, she passed away after she gave me birth two weeks after. And two weeks after, so I'm, I was a month old, he decided to give me up. So... Um, between the first months and the seven months, I think I was probably in a foster family because we have some papers and some, uh, um, yeah, some testimonies, writing, written. Um, but um, um, I've just understood maybe only when I had my own children how much uh, uh, grief I had to do uh, as such a little baby because uh, I had the first grief when she 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 passed away to two weeks old. Then after one month old, I have to grieve the fact I I changed from my own family to a foster family. And I don't know if in between I was in an orphanage and I was married, uh, taken uh, taken care by the nurses or, or, or I don't know. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. And after uh, leaving my own country and coming uh, to France. So I just realized only when uh, I started to have my first uh, child, um, I had a kind of postpartum very strong, uh, probably like uh, um, I suffered from different trauma of uh, the different grief I had to do as a baby. Mm. Okay, wow, so yeah. So you, you, did you, you mentioned your, did your father put you up for adoption? Because your mother had passed away? Yeah, because he, he, um, the thing is, um, he was already a widow of his first wife. And he had a, a daughter of five years old at that time. He had my uh, second uh, sister, who was three. And he had me. He was 30 years old, and he was a tailor. But in Korea, in the 70s, the country was not the same as now. Mm. And uh, they were very poor. And uh, he didn't even tell the, everyone in the family. I've, I met some um, brothers of my uh, uh, mother uh, in 2014 and went back with my husband to Korea for my second trip. And um, they, they really apologized because they had, one of them knew like I was, I went, put, went to adoption, but the other one didn't, had no idea. Because mm -hmm. he himself adopted a, a daughter. So he was really surprised like, uh, uh, he had another niece uh, who, who grew up in France, yeah. Wow. Okay. Interesting. So do you know, um, if you, like, were growing up, did your parents, your, your adoptive parents, did they, was it a closed adoption or did they specifically want to, like, you mentioned that they were told to close all ties, but did they have an option um, or did they have any type of knowledge of where you came from or any of your backstory at all? That's a very good question, actually, because in France, uh, you know, uh, I think you have a different system as the United States for that. You don't have open adoptions like uh, okay. you have closed adoption all the time. But for the international one, I'm not very aware of everything. But at that time, what happened, uh, I remember like when my parents were talking with the members of my family, when they were asking questions at dinners or with friends, uh, they, they never agreed on that. They always said, my mom was always said that they couldn't find, if I wanted to find my own route, it would be difficult for my dad. It was always like, there will be always a way. 
but actually what is surprising it says in the second part of the story is my um, my magical father uh, at certain point he became very good friend with someone at the Salvation Army mm-hmm. and in Korea and the Salvation Army in Korea wrote to the Salvation Army to France and explaining the situation that Korean father wanted to find his own daughter and um, though they received the letters at that time um, they faxed it <laughs> it was not uh, exactly with the um, with the email and um, they found uh, my, my, my adoptive parents. They, they wrote to them and they even called my mom and my mom was retired at that time. So she, she was the only one who knew, like my biological father was uh, looking for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, um, I was not living with them at the, at the same time. So I was abroad, I was in London at that time. And she had it from me and she had it from my uh, adoptive father too. And, uh, but he, she, she exchanged two letters uh, with uh, my um, ad- um, biological father. Oh, wow. So she gave some news. Um, and um, she said to him, like, she didn't want to bother me with that. She, I was very fragile. And she gave some excuse. I think she was very scared to lose me. And, um, and she said to him, like, because you are a pastor, you are, you are a believer, so you can uh, pray maybe that my daughter will contact you and I will, uh, I will see no, uh, no, I will have no objection. And uh, that's what he did. And this mm. is how, well, this is what he told me. Like, he, and everybody in the Salvation Army wrote, like, we have to pray for that daughter to contact her father because uh, apparently the uh, adoptive mother doesn't want to um, be the link between them. And wow. so it happened years later, but it happened. Um, and so I don't know why I was telling you that. Sorry. I feel That's like... okay. It's, in, it's very interesting. Wow. Um, my other question was, uh, do you know, do you happen to know why? I'm just curious. Do you know why or a reason why your adopted parents decided to adopt? Yeah. And um, I'm reading books about that now and I'm trying to be in their mind when they were, you know, they were young. Um, my parents had, um, they had a baby. Uh, my, but uh, he, he, when my mom gave birth, uh, he was already dead. Uh, and after she couldn't have any more children, she has the surgery, the hysterectomy. And so she couldn't have any more babies. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, they never really uh, had a therapy of uh, grieving properly the baby. And um, I think that's what I understand. I don't know if the, you know the the book of uh, Nancy War- Warrior, uh, the, the primi- primitive wounds of the adoptees. It's I've very... Heard, yeah. Uh, it's very powerful. I will really encourage any adoptee to read it because I read it uh, lately, it's really slowly to digest it and to process it. It's really powerful. And she explained it's one of the things the adoptive parents need to understand. Because uh, usually when you want to adopt, it's because you, you can't have children. But you never really, it's really rare you think of that because you want to love a child first, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And I think for my parents, it was uh, the wounds they, and the grief they didn't do. And so they put a lot of hope on me and a lot of uh, burden. And uh, the couple were not uh, the greatest one. They had a lot of uh, issues. And um, um, getting older, they, it got worse and worse. So wow. I was the uh, only hope for them. Mm. Yeah, especially being an only child, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like a lot of adoptee parents they'll they'll have a uh, they'll adopt two at least, but for your case it was only one. So yeah. you got all of their attention and all of their issues. All mm-hmm. the <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Wow. Even so, uh, as an adult, uh, I always had. A, even today, like I'm, t- I'm trying to take care of my mom by myself. Oh yeah, that's that's hard. Um, do you know? Uh, what was my, I just lost, I lost my train of thought. Um, oh, I, I liked what you said about grieving. Um, because I think, like, we've been talking about a lot in my other interviews, and I, I try and push on this page a lot, 
is just the need for education and, and therapy for adopted parents. But grieving is a very specific um, topic that I think is definitely needed too, is, is properly grieving the death of a child. Because I think so many adoptive parents obviously are adopting because they either tried to have a kid and it died or they couldn't, they just couldn't have a kid. So even the fact that they couldn't have a kid is a grieving type of situation in itself because you're mm-hmm. grieving that, that loss of a potential opportunity for you to even have a kid. And I think parents, they're not offered this, or maybe they don't seek it out, um, that, that grieving counseling that is really necessary for them to get themselves in a, in a proper healthy mindset <laughs> and state of mind before having another child or before adopting another child. But most of them, they stay in that grieving mindset state and they look at adoption as a solution. Exactly. Yeah. And then they adopt a kid with that state of mind as a parent, um, which then just continues the, the intergenerational trauma. Yeah. um, And you know, even myself as an adoptee, uh, before I read that book, I think I was, um, for a certain time, I was for the adoption. That's after another period, I started to think, well, adoption is not good. And um, and after I started to see, well, there is not a good solution like it. It's not black and white, you know. Uh, I understood adoption can be good for certain people if they have a good education, if they get, <laughs> if they get a good, some good information as well. But I, I was just thinking as well, like... Um, Adoption, um, for me, like, I could tell my friend, like, if you can't have kids, did you think about adoption? But no, I realized after reading that book from Nancy Verrier, I just realized that's not the thing you should say. You should say you maybe before you want to adopt, did you think about what you really want for that kid instead of uh, what do you want for you? And mm-hmm. uh, that's a big mistake. Even myself, I realized I was making all the time. Because it, it's um, there is a very um, well-known uh, uh, director of uh, movies, and uh, she's a, a French speaker as well, Amandine Gay. She's gonna uh, she's gonna have a, a film out soon, a movie, a documentary about adoptees soon, and oh, she wow. said something very interesting. Um, like you know, usually the parents, uh, the adoptive parents, the first thing they think uh, first is trying to have a natural child. Okay, the option is not good for them. They can't have child. They're going to try the, the in vitro. They're going to have the, maybe the, comment tu dis, don de vos sites? You know, when you, you give your own. Um, yeah, when, you know, when you have like, um, anyway, sorry. <laughs> you know, when you try to have um, a child from someone, um, ovaries or. Right, so segregate. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> and after, well, after the three first options, maybe you're going to have the fourth one in mind only. And they're going to come up with the idea of saying maybe, maybe because none of the first third uh, uh, worked out for us. Maybe we should try the adoption. So what does it mean for us as adoptee? Like we are the, the latest option for adoptive parents and yeah. i think that's something that needs to change now like uh, they can't uh, i don't say it's the general case but it's one of the things that it should change like yeah. i don't like the thing uh, we we saw as well with south korea uh, lately i think they a lot of things need to change too with the yeah. policy of adoption um, yeah yeah definitely it's that's such a good point is is adoption tends to be one of the last resorts <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. there's definitely a psychological implication to that that instills into the parents as they adopt and as they're dishing out money to get their child um, there's so much like different perception shifts and, and different mind states and transformations that even need to occur for a parent to even consider adopting a child there's this like weird cutoff it's like this acceptance where okay i'm no longer going to be able to be a biological parent now mm-hmm. i have to just accept that i'm this second grade kind of adoptive parent and it's like it, it is there's a lot of interesting perceptions that could be explored within that mindset of an adoptive parent transforming from a biological parent or a potential 
biological parent and all that. But um, I think it, it comes down to, like you were saying, is, is self-awareness. I mean, parenting in general, forget adoption. Why do you want to become a parent? Why does anyone want to become a parent? And most people, it's very, it's just very surface level thinking. They have a, an immediate answer that they believe a hundred percent truly, but they don't dive deeper and deeper and deeper into really what is driving them so much to have mm -hmm. a child. Mm -hmm. And then what's driving them so much further to make sure they adopt a child if they can't have a biological child. And I think that investigation and that questioning and that level of self-awareness is really what needs to be pushed for all parents and for people in general exactly. so that they can have a children with a healthy mind state and not this selfish kind of like trauma-based uh, desire attachment. Um, you know, like, so I really, that's what I do on my other page is I, I facilitate self-awareness through mind analysis reports and I would love if like everyone who's trying to have a parent would be required to go through like a training or a mind analysis process or get a license to have a child so that we know that they're having a child for the right reasons and not for these trauma based reasons. I, I, th <clears throat> I think, you know, um, I don't know exactly how is the process now in France, but at the time for my parents, like their first request was rejected. And the second request was accepted after a second try. So, um, as a, what I, as my understanding is, uh, because my 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 education was fine, but uh, the way I grew up was a lot of brokenness through domestic violence, alcoholisms, uh, abused, and. Um, when I believe when they, they, they went through the first investigation, everything was fine for them. And they had no idea like they were going years later in this kind of direction. Uh, because of course, in, so I don't know if because they had their first request rejected, maybe some people, the social workers, uh, all of the investigators saw something, I don't know. But what I know is, um, they couldn't know the future of my parents and they couldn't know like uh, it, it would it, it was very difficult for me very very difficult so I guess there is no you can go through the best process and equip the best parents ever you never know which kind of trauma can happen to them too like I don't know for example one of them die you know and it's going to be another trauma for the adoptee yeah. but for sure you ha we have to try to equip them and to educate them much better than now. Uh, and I know there are a lot of people they're trying to do their own research. I have a friend, because I, I, I started to repost a lot of stories on, on my uh, profile of Instagram, and I have a, a friend who reached out to me, and she said, you know, it's very interesting what you're posting, but I think uh, they are very good side of adoption. I have my sister who, uh, who have adopted um, my nephew, and um, they, she did all of the research uh, possible. So they are very people who are trying harder. But yeah. I know that there they will be not enough, enough research for everyone and enough information for everyone. So we, I think now the fact we have the social network, I'm so happy. Like I can see a lot of uh, profile, even in France, three years ago, there were not any profile uh, about adoption on Instagram. And now there are many. Mm. And very young people as well, who has uh, maybe more power than me when I was in my twenties. Because yeah. in my twenties, I was really by myself. I couldn't, I didn't know any anyone who was adopted. I mean, mm. I met maybe one person, you know, uh, and that's it. So now I think yes, we 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 have to to tell people that um, ad adoptees is a minority, and we 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 have um we have a voice to to speak up and to explain to people it's not easy and we we don't say like life it's easy for everyone uh, but as um, Francis said last week and I listened to her interview uh, there are special trauma and there are consequences mm. yeah what 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 was uh when did you find out you were adopted do you remember that how old you were I think my parents never really hide it it was difficult because uh, 
aside didn't look like them, you know. Uh, so, but maybe I realized when I was six, seven years old, I think, really, like, uh, I looked at my dad one day, and I kind of remember, like, I looked at the parents of my uh, friends from school, and some people that look like, they look alike. And I said to my dad, why, why I don't look alike like you? And I said, you, but you know, you are adoptee. Uh, we adopted you when you were a baby and everything. So I just said, oh, yeah, okay. And I move on. And, uh, but for a long time, I just denied so much of my roots because they, they changed my name. But this is what they do because they did because uh, the French um, uh, agency told them to do so. Right. And uh, uh, they, I, I, I forgot like I was Korean and I refused to be Korean for a long time, to be only even Asian. It's only like um, maybe maybe 10 years ago, maybe I started to have step-by-step step little changing in my mind. Mm. Uh, because even being surrounding by Asian people before, for me, it was so weird. Mm. Um, I just felt like... Mm. And when I went to Korea, it was a big step for me to go for the first time to Asia by myself and to meet my biological f uh, family. So there is a French journalist uh, in France who is quite famous. She wrote a book as well. She's in, from uh, India and she's been adopted. And she explained a lot of things very similar, I felt, how I feel about uh, how different you are when you meet the people of your own kind. Mm. But... You know you are like them, but you're not like them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So can you bring yourself back to that six-year-old and questioning and kind of thinking, you know, oh, yeah, I'm adopted, and it didn't really go any further. Do you, can you remember, like, any specific, like, maybe perspectives or, or struggles that you had from, like, growing up pre-teens that you might – now identify as probably because you were adopted? Um, not when I was six years old. I would say maybe more like I become, became a teenager. Like um, I was hiding a lot my, my eyes uh, when um, I started to be able to wear sunglasses. I mm. always wanted to because the first thing it was very odd for me when I was walking into the grocery store and everybody was staring at me like that all the time because it was pretty rare to see someone who was Asian, especially with uh, parents who were white. Yeah. And uh, usually the, when you were at the cash point, you know, and you were putting the groceries on at the cash point, the, the cashier, she was like, oh, oh, you know, and the surprise on the face and everything. And at some point when I started to be a teenager, I was fed up of that. Like people, I, I felt really embarrassed. So yeah. I was trying to hide myself between be, be behind um, sunglasses but after when I, I became um, I turned maybe 18 I think I'm I wanted to cultivate the fact I was Asian so I was wearing a lot of Asian uh, clothes you know to have like the stylish Asian uh, it was in the late 90s so it was kind of the uh, the fashion at that time you had a lot of clothes but I wanted to to be different of my friends who were all white, but I would never say like I'm I'm Korean or I'm Asian. It it was really twisted. And yeah. now looking back at that, I said, I think you wanted to 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 have your own roots coming out of you, but you wanted to. It was like you put a costume on you. It was really weird. Really yeah, weird. yeah. It was. I mean, it, you were you were trying to process and cope with the feeling of feeling you know different but you wanted to be a part of the group but you didn't want to also like you wanted to establish yourself as unique by being more mm -hmm. like showing your the, those fashion statements but at the same time you didn't want to be Asian because you had that shame exactly exactly uh, even so you know which is funny it's like my uh... I always wanted to look like uh, Gong Li, you know, the actress, the Chinese uh, actress in the in back in the 90s, uh, 2000s. She was very famous. She even went to France to the Festival de Cannes and she, she was a gorgeous actress, uh, Chinese actress, really gorgeous. And I think now I realize like I wanted to look like her because she was Asian. 
Mm. And uh, so in my mind, some, something somewhere, I think my, my brain wanted to go back to my roots. And uh, no, it's only maybe now, like, as I said, like 45 years later, like I'm able to approach Korean women. Uh, last month, I, I went to a cafe and I met, I met um, two Korean women and I talked to them randomly and one of them keep in touch with me. It was the first step of my life, like I was doing that. Because wow. uh, usually I, I was just, every time like current people tried to talk to me, I was like pushing them back. Um, my, my, my husband is very keen on, uh, on the Korean, of, on, on Korea. Uh, he even speaks better Korean than me. <laughs> uh, and uh, he's Asian, Asian, from Haiti. Okay. And, uh, oh, Asian. Yeah, sorry. Uh, and um, it, for him, he, he loves uh, Korean people. And for me, when I went to Korea with him in 2014, it was very hard for me just to even interact with them. Even if I spoke uh, in a lot of people about my my um, stories, I met. Yeah, it's only now like I feel like I want to learn Korean. Uh, before I was not interesting at all. Because I think I need to do that as well for my children, because it's a part of their legacy. Um, they they are French, and it's going to be hard for them to understand they are French from my adoptive parents. Uh, for now, they don't really realize anything. They are black as well on the side of my my husband, who is French as well because he grew up here in France, and they have the the background of um, of South Korea as well. So we're trying to balance everything, but it's a part of their legacy. So I, I really want them as well to understand it would be good to know um, the country or where I was born. Wow. That's, yeah, that's so interesting because, you know, it's almost like, you know, you, you have that innate, I like how you had that transformation as a child, like where you said you were always kind of ashamed, you were hiding your eyes, but then there something clicked and you were like, you know what, screw it, I want to, you know, project and kind of model this, this, uh, this Asian actress role model. So you were acknowledging that she's Asian and acknowledging that she's powerful and loved and accepted, but you just wanted to take on her like fashion statement to seem more individual and powerful and independent. But at the same time, you still held on to that shame for being Asian until recently where now you can finally accept, you know, who you are and you can even start to try and, branch out to talk to other people but that took how many years yeah i think it took me a lot of process of therapy well i've been th three years in therapy and i just finished uh, last october yeah for so but um um one of the i think one that helped me a lot is uh, for sure it's my face i i came i came to christ i became christian when i was 28 and uh, the, so it's, it's going to be 18 years now. And it doesn't say like it solved all of my problems, but my faith and the fact I became Christian, is, it's real, helped me. Like, mm -hmm. I, because I tend to take my own life several times before that. And after, like when I became a mother, uh, I struggled with it, the temptation of suicidal thoughts uh, as well. And so... Um, and I, I went through therapy and it, it helped me a lot. But I think the fact now, the, by the fact I'm accepting as well the wounds and the healing will take all of my life to, um, yeah, it will take a long time. But um, when you, you think you can help other people, like you're doing coaching and I'm a coach too, uh, and I've decided like I'm going to run my own business as well. I want to help people because I know like I've been through a lot of traumas, but as you said uh, in your video, sometimes adoptees are very resilient. And because we are very resilient, we have strengths. We have something we can give to other people and share, and we can support people who have uh, uh, mental health problems uh, with what we have. And we don't have the, the same gift and the same uh, skills. But I, I think, um, uh, this is kind of uh, life missions and uh, right. we by doing that and by embracing who you are you're embracing your own life and you can give and and um, pay forward to other people because um, if 
I, I, my life has, has been sometimes very tough and, and it's still tough sometimes as like anyone else. But um, by, fin by finding the meaning of, okay, what I can do, helping other people who are struggling too and give my testimony, that's why I accepted to come to uh, your interview. Um, I think it, it, it really helped. The fact you, you share, you help other people and you know you, you are not useless anymore. Because uh, one of the things uh, adopt, I, I'm sure depressive people or suicidal people think the first thing is you are useless yeah. and no one loves you. But in fact, you are very useful and yeah. very helpful. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's exactly what this page is for. Your, your trauma and your struggling is useful because it's your strength and you can help other people with what they're dealing with. Yeah, and, and it's, it's not going to be over tomorrow. And we know like maybe it's going to be like that until the end of the, our lives. But um, finding the meaning of helping other people, even if the people push you back, mm. um, you, you, you will see some fruit at some point. And maybe mm. at the last moment, maybe you will, uh, you will uh, expect. So if you had to summarize uh, your biggest struggles with being adopted, from when you were a little child to maybe even now, what, what, how would you describe your biggest struggle? Oh, it's probably the, the, the death. I think uh, all, of my, all of my life, since I was a little child, I remember, I was struggling with the thought of uh, being dead. I, I, I mean, struggling of willing being dead. Uh, and um, it's in... Because sometimes, just sometimes, because of the circumstances that I was going through at home, uh, because I didn't know exactly who I am, of course, because of the identity problem I didn't know, I was not aware. There are many other reasons. And uh, even like I, I became more aware of who I was and who I became. Mm. Um, I think um, there were, there were always the times sometimes I feel like uh, I'm not worth it. And that's the biggest light I think I have to struggle still today. Because when, when I, I, I am married to a, a wonderful husband, but sometimes I just feel like I'm not worth it for him or, you know, and for my, my children is the same. So I always have to fight uh, against that thoughts. And um, yeah, and I think it's a part of because of, of, the, tra of the trauma of being adopted. I would, mm -hmm. I would say that. Yeah, I would say that. Good. But um. The, my, as I said, my face and the people who pray for me uh, change a lot of things. Without, without uh, Christ, I, I would probably be dead for so, for, for so long. Hmm. So it's the, the feeling of not feeling worthy or, or having low self-worth that was really the main uh, kind of drive for, for wanting to end your life. Does that make sense? Can you say it again? I'm not sure to understand the, bit, the difference not feeling worthy mm -hmm. was that the main feeling that yeah. was driving the that thought to kill to yeah. end your life okay. yeah not feeling worthy or, or big but i don't think at first i would link it when i was young because i was adopted because i never thought i refused to thought to think of the fact i was uh, abandoned um, it's only when I, I, find, I, I started to do my research, like I could put the, the word on it, like, okay, I was abandoned, I was really in quitch. But uh, when I was younger, I think um, I just felt like there was, there was something broken in me, but I couldn't tell. And, and even today, I'm very, I'm highly sensitive, so I can really cry for nothing, uh, for, if, yeah, so... I guess um, I have to to balance my emotions because sometimes they can drain me from emotions very sad of depression or anxiety. Mm. But when you're a child, you don't know how to do that. Yeah. And you don't know, like your brain is not developed enough to, um, yes, to manage your own emotions. Mm. So what would be your uh, final message to all adoptive parents? Um, to all of the adoptive parents, I think I would uh, recommend to read a lot of books, to meet a lot of people, to keep in touch with people who they know they, they are adult 
um, adoptees. Because I, I try to be sometimes a voice to friends who adopt, uh, who ad have adopted the children. And um, it's really rare. Or sometimes last summer on my vacation, I've met two couples who were adoptive parents with their children and the children were very small. But I could tell they didn't, they were, they didn't even ask any questions about, mm. you know. And I felt very sad because I was like, you had the opportunity to ask me maybe advice or something. And um, so I would really say to adoptive friends, trying to, yeah, now with the social networks, you have many opportunities to be in touch with an adult as yeah. us and listen to us. And even if every, every story is different, uh, yeah. we know uh, it's unique and uh, we, have, we can have um, common points, but of course it's, it's different for everyone. But at least, yes, listen to us. What's your message to adoptees? You are worthy. Uh, you, you, you are a warrior. You are resilient. And uh, you have a voice. And uh, don't, um, don't shut up so, that voice. Let it out. Even if you think like you're fine and uh, you don't need to know who you are or you don't need to, you feel really like comfortable where you are one day will come back to you so just uh, be yourself and love yourself and uh, if you you allow me to say god loves you i would say okay. well cool thank you for for joining me again is there any final words you would like to say yeah actually i don't know if your your <laughs> your video will be seen by um, the korean nation uh, but my dream uh, is like one day I hope the Korean nation will say uh, they will apologize to the Korean adoptees because I, I think um, uh, South Korea is a very prosperous uh, country and um, it's been prosperous for a long time uh, since the 90s as they still send away a lot of uh, child uh, abroad and uh, I think they we, they need uh, to explain something. So yeah, um, if I have one last word to say, I think uh, um, they need to to give us some explanation and maybe to apologize for for sending out so many of their children and instead of trying to taking take care of them in their country. Mm. Uh, if you is it is that clear what I said? Yeah, yeah, I understand. I don't know how, how it's, it's so interesting is in every country, it's going to be different. Um, so I, yeah, it's very interesting no. adoption policy. You they don't that, have the Yeah, sorry, I'm just sorry. saying, you, you would think that there should be an, a, a universal adoption policy since, you know, if you're going to be adopting from one country to another, it's it's all the same thing. You're still adopting a human being and, and ma making them move somewhere else. So there yeah. should be like a much more standardized policy for adoption across the globe, I think. Yeah, there, there is a, a Korean adoptee in France. I've, I've met through Amandine Gay, the director I was talking about. And that his, her name is Julie. She's doing a, a wonderful work about uh, trying to educate people about adoption. And uh, she made a really good point. Um, I, I, I don't completely agree, I think, 100%, but I think it's, it's interesting what she said. She did a lot of research, and she said adoption is, a way, uh, is another way of uh, colonized countries um, because you're taking away the children from usually undeveloped countries to the Western cultures, uh, very rich. And um, you taking their children you're changing their names they're changing their culture you know so there is um if you think about it you think she's close to the truth you know mm -hmm. um so there are a lot of things like that like uh we need to yeah i think it will be good like uh, adoption could be a, a topic very serious i know i i've, I've watched a lot of talks about saying like maybe we stop you sh we should stop adoption because adoption is a business for some countries and maybe try to help people in the country to take care of their own children i don't know if it's a 
what they, they can do, but maybe they should, the, the whole world should try to have a more focus on, on the adoption system for sure, because uh, we know that it's a business as well. And yeah. we can't deny that, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, I personally don't think any one-sided extreme is ever the answer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the world is the way it is today. Like you need to, you need to be able to, to be flexible with your solutions. So I think we definitely need to focus more on, on adoption education, I guess, is the first step and then make some policy changes. And uh, I don't think ending adoption a hundred percent is the, the mm -hmm. way to do it. <laughs> no, but, yeah, yeah. It, you know, and, Nancy, were, sorry, I refer to her a lot, but she said something very uh, important in the book. She said, you know, there is no uh, perfect solution. There is always trauma for the four people. The mother who wants to keep the, the child, and even if uh, in spite of the circumstances, it's like if she's poor or she is a single mom, she will have a trauma and the child will have a trauma to stay together. The mother who wants to abort, she will have a trauma of abortion. The mother uh, who give up the child will have a trauma and the adopted child will have a trauma. And there is no better solution. I mean, as you said, the world is uh, as it is. So um, we just have to, I think, um, we really have to think like there is no perfect solution, but we have to try our best to take care of the people left behind at the thing. Mm. Yeah, and then preventative action. Exactly, yes. Because uh, I think we talk a lot about the adoptive parents. We talked a lot about adoptives. But we forget sometimes like the biological uh, parents, uh, most of them, they have trauma as well. And sometimes they even deny the trauma because they don't want to see the adoptive as well. But they, it's because they, don't, they didn't have the, the right um, therapy or they yeah. didn't have therapy at all. Yeah. No, oh. definitely. Definitely. Trauma goes all around. <laughs> yeah, for different so, reasons. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you again for joining me and thanks everyone for watching. Well, thank you very much, Alex. Thank you for your work too. Bye. Thank you. Bye.